Chapter 1 The Minister for Health sat stony-faced. This was clearly not a social call. Last. Last. You should be ashamed, Carol. You're the CEO, but you don't seem to know what's happening in your own health service. The minister pointed past Carol. Look at what's going on under your very nose. Carol Mathewson stared out the window of her office at the sparkling new inpatient building opposite. Hundreds of doctors, wearing identical white coats, poured out of the sliding glass doors and down the street in military formation. Like the water-carrying brooms in Disney's The Sorcerer's Apprentice, their march was relentless and apparently endless. The minister gazed at her severely. So, what are you going to do about it? Don't give me excuses. I'm looking for a solution. Carol woke with a jump from the dream, or nightmare, that had disturbed her every morning that week, feeling a mix of relief and frustration. Relief, because who wants to be stuck in a dream like that? And frustration, because she wished she could hear her own answer. The minister may have been a dream, but her concerns reflected stark reality. She did need solutions, and fast. In fact, a little sorcery wouldn't go astray right now. Carol had worked in healthcare all her professional life, and disgruntled doctors were not unusual. But her health service being on the bottom of the state league ladder for both consumer and staff satisfaction? That was a new experience, and she had no intention of getting used to it. Carol glanced at the clock and summoned her willpower for an early morning workout. She would need all the strength she could muster to face the challenges of the new week. As she approached her 50th birthday, she was working hard to get her health act together after a few years of hit and miss, and she enjoyed feeling strong and fit again. But she did not enjoy getting out of bed before dawn. She dressed quickly in the gym clothes she'd left out last night to nudge her good intentions into action, pulling her shoulder-length gray blonde hair into a ponytail as she descended the stairs. As always, the silence of an empty apartment caught her by surprise. She hadn't lived on her own for 15 years, until a few months ago when she and her partner ended their relationship, and she hadn't yet fully adapted to the change. Not that she didn't have more than enough going on in her working life to keep her occupied. Carol had been the chief executive officer of Kinsley Valley Health Service, KVHS, for only a few weeks, and it was already clear that the hours in the day didn't quite match the demands of the role. But the mornings and evenings on her own were still tough. She shook her head impatiently. No time to wallow. She filled her water bottle, grabbed an apple, and headed out the door. Her neighbor across the street greeted her with a happy morning as Carol threw her gym bag in the boot of the car. He smiled broadly and pointed to the front page of the local paper he held in his hand. Carol couldn't quite make out what he was saying. It sounded like bad day at the office, but it couldn't be that, could it? She waved cheerily at him as she drove away. A couple of hours later, Carol was typing furiously on her computer when her executive assistant, Rosie, poked her head around the door. Rosie had looked after five Kinsley Valley CEOs and had mastered fierce protection down to a fine art, 
albeit camouflaged in a sweet demeanor. Although planning her retirement, she showed no signs of slowing down. Her back was as ramrod straight, her wit as sharp, and her dedication to her job as strong as ever. Professor Yang would like to see you. Now, I told her you were busy, but she won't take no for an answer. Carol looked up from the board quality and clinical governance committee papers. Although Rosie's tone was light, she was shaking her head decisively. Carol smiled inwardly. If Rosie was saying no to this meeting, she was probably right. And Carol's initial reaction was to protect her quarantine committee preparation time. But a quick mental application of her consumer rule of thumb made the decision for her. Ask her to come in, please, Rosie. Professor Yang was the hugely influential surgical unit head. Short, feisty, and endlessly on the move. She talked in short, sharp dot points that often left her listeners breathless. Encounters with Professor Yang were more like speed dates than conversations, and she was commonly known around the health service as the pocket rocket. Carol braced herself and stood up. Nice to see you, Lian was the last complete sentence she managed to get out as the professor charged past Rosie and into her office. Fifteen long minutes later, she stalked out. Rosie's head appeared around the door again, this time accompanied by her hand holding a mug of coffee. Thanks, Rosie. You're a lifesaver. Carol smiled gratefully. I don't know why you agreed to see her. Rosie picked up a pile of papers from Carol's outtray as she scolded. She didn't have an appointment, and you know she's on the warpath. Well, in these situations, I apply a little consumer rule of thumb I've developed over the years of dealing with healthcare egos, <laughs> including mine. Carol laughed at Rosie's polite confusion. Yes, I'm happy to admit that my ego is healthy. It's hard to get to be a CEO without it. It's managing my ego that's the issue. I apply the same rule for others as I do for myself. What's best for the consumers affected by the situation? In fact, to be honest, what I really think is, what would be best if my mother were affected by this situation? When I look at it that way, it's better to see Prof now when she's between surgery and clinic rather than later in the afternoon when it suits me, but will make her patients wait. If my mom were one of those patients, I wouldn't want her waiting longer than she needed to because the CEO pulled rank on a doctor. Challenges are what make life interesting and overcoming them is what makes life meaningful, Rosie recited as she refreshed the water in the vase of wildflowers she brought in for Carol every week. Carol nodded. Yes, something like that and some challenges are best addressed head-on and then done with. As you well know, there are some pretty damaged bridges with the doctors here that I need to repair. Prof. Yang had a point today, even if I didn't enjoy her delivery. It seems that lots of decisions have been made over the past couple of years without involving the doctors. She's particularly cross about the new operating room booking system that was implemented without her input which she now says doesn't work the way the surgeons need it to and is reducing patient flow and throughput rather than increasing it. I'll talk to Kristen about it. 
Did she threaten to defect to the new private hospital and take all the other surgeons with her? Carol's eyebrows shot up. Oh, yes, that's the word around town, Rosie continued. The docs are saying that if management doesn't start listening to them, they'll all walk out, and then you won't have a hospital. Of course, they said that when Seb was the CEO too, but he didn't take any notice. As far as he was concerned, the clinical staff did their job and he did his, and never the twain shall meet. Unless they wanted to spend money, of course. Then he couldn't wait to meet with them to tell them they couldn't. That was before there was a shiny new private hospital, though. Now, if they walk out, they only have to go 500 meters down the road to a new job. Carol had a mental flash of marching lines of white coats. She shuddered. Are you okay? Rosie peered at her. You look like someone just walked over your grave. You've certainly had a good old-fashioned Kinsley Valley baptism of fire. Not helped by this, I expect. She laid today's edition of the Kinsley Valley Leader newspaper on the desk in front of Carol. The headline yelled, New CEO, not up to fixing KVHS. Carol was momentarily speechless. Her neighbor had not been kidding. They've been at us ever since the deaths on the medical ward were made public, Rosie explained with a grimace. But this is the most personal rubbish I've seen so far. She paused while Carol scanned the article, which was a collection of unnamed sources criticizing Carol's leadership style. Still think you made the right decision? Carol swallowed. I can't deny that there have been moments. I do love a challenge, and I've certainly got one. She took a sip of coffee, staring at the headline, and clenched her jaw into a determined line. But we can't let this sort of thing distract us. I'll have more trouble than this if we don't get these board quality and clinical governance committee papers to the chair today. I'll have them done by lunchtime. Rosie left, closing the door behind her, and Carol attempted to refocus on the committee agenda with little success. She glanced at the article again, then sat back and looked around her office. Administration was in the old hospital, and although the CEO's office was the largest in the block, with enough room for a small meeting table and whiteboard. It was hardly palatial. However, a fresh coat of cream paint, Rosie's wildflowers, and bookcases filled with leadership and healthcare management books, topped with some photos, created a pleasant space. Her PhD certificate sat on the wall alongside a couple of leadership awards and enlarged aerial before and after photos of the KVHS building works. As in her dream, Carol's windows looked across the road to the new inpatient building. There was a corner office available there, with commanding views over Kinsley Valley Township. But Carol had decided that its current function as a meeting room made more sense. Rosie was right. Her first few weeks had been a baptism of fire, with Prof. Yang just the latest in a succession of angry people who'd confronted her since she'd started as CEO. Although unpleasant, the reaction to her as a new CEO wasn't surprising. Carol had worked in healthcare all her life, and she knew the ups and downs. And Kinsley Valley Health Service had been in a long down over the past couple of years. 
a damning accreditation result, and an external review of long-standing poor patient care on the medical ward had attracted both bad press and community anger. A major move into the new building and an organizational restructure, not to mention a new CEO and board chair, had left the staff and community anxious, frustrated, and unsettled. Carol wouldn't admit to Rosie, or anyone else, that she was struggling to find her feet under the weight of the problems, not to mention the staff hostility. She was feeling it all more than she had expected to. She stood, walked over to the window, and looked out at the busy comings and goings. Overcoming challenges does make life meaningful, but how much meaning can I handle? Carol had spent most of her time so far observing and listening. She was in the fortunate position of not having to make any immediate decisions as the urgent medical ward and accreditation rescue work had been addressed and the hospital move completed before she started. But the memories lingered on and there were many issues to sort through. Coroner's cases on some of the patient deaths were proceeding and likely to drag on for years. Staff morale was low, patient complaints were high, and KVHS was at the bottom of the statewide results for both. Internal quality and safety metrics also indicated that suboptimal patient care wasn't confined to the medical ward, with problems scattered across the organization. Besides that, the community trust in their health service had plummeted over the past couple of years, and there had been little consumer input into improving KVHS services. As demonstrated that morning, the local newspaper loved to fill column inches with the latest KVHS bad news story, supplied, Carol suspected, by disgruntled staff as well as unhappy patients and families. She hadn't expected it to be a picnic. She'd done her due diligence on KVHS and knew the story, but the depth of the negative culture had taken her by surprise. Carol picked up the photo of her farewell from the city hospital she'd left for KVHS. How she missed it. If she could have, she would have brought them all with her. How much easier this role would be with her old team around. As always, when she felt herself slipping into nostalgia for her old job, she reminded herself that she was there for a positive reason that outweighed the negatives. When Carol's father died just over a year ago, she'd had some big decisions to make. Her mother was too unwell to remain living alone in Carol's rural hometown, and she soon moved to the local aged care facility. After a few months of driving or flying the 800-kilometer round trip to visit her every second weekend, Carol knew it was time for a decision. Her mother needed her to be closer, and Carol realized that she wanted to be. She loved her job as the chief operating officer of a large metropolitan hospital, though, and wasn't ready to give up her healthcare career just yet. So she kept an eye out for jobs coming up in the major regional centers around her hometown. Carol couldn't believe her luck when the position of CEO of KVHS was advertised and, after a rigorous selection process, she got the job. Kinsley Valley was a beautiful area, about 40 minutes drive from her mother's aged care facility. Carol knew it well, as she had attended high school there and worked her way up to chief physiotherapist at KVHS before leaving for the city. 
20 years had elapsed since then, and Kinsley Valley Town and Health Service were unrecognizable. A new university and research precinct ensured that there was plenty going on in a growing population of mixed cultures and ages. The coffee was as good as she needed it to be. Local wineries produced very drinkable drops and provided great places for a good meal. And the agricultural sector had found some lucrative niches which kept employment ticking along. Carol sat back down at her computer and drank a long gulp from her coffee cup, frowning at the amount of work it was taking to craft a board quality committee agenda and papers that actually warranted a meeting. Her eye was drawn to a report from aged care showing significant improvement in dementia care, and she smiled. It wasn't all doom and gloom. Despite its problems, KVHS had a lot going for it. The new and impressive 200-bed inpatient building had opened six months ago without too many disasters. The finances were stable, thanks to the previous CEO's focus. Not perfect, but manageable. And the board had turned over several members and was now equipped with what looked like a useful set of skills. The KVHS residential aged care and community services seemed to be running well and gave Carol hope that all was not lost. From her first few weeks' observations, she could see that, like most organizations, there were pockets of brilliance, some things that desperately needed fixing, and some solid mediocrity in between. The CEO she'd replaced had been an infrastructure and numbers man, and whilst he had produced a new building on time and budget, he'd ignored the creeping decline in staff morale and standard of patient care while his attention was up and out. Not long after the new building opened, he was gone, along with the board chair, as the enormity of patient harm in the medical service and accreditation failure became apparent. The publication of the first set of statewide results for staff and consumer satisfaction, showing KVHS languishing at the bottom of both lists, was the final straw. Clinical governance warning bells had rung in Carol's head since her first walk around the health service as obvious risks, some of which had two legs, two arms, and a head, stared her in the face. One of those risks was her executive team, who bore the scars of the past year and clearly hadn't quite recovered from their previous CEO's sudden departure. Carol believed there was a lot of potential to be unleashed if she could just pull the right levers. She secretly relished the workout her skills and experience would get. Little did she realize she'd be flexing her leadership muscles in earnest the very next day. I'm sorry, but I don't get it. Anton Veronin, the chief finance and information officer, shook his head. In his early 40s, Anton had recently switched careers from banking to health. And although he was enjoying the change, he was not yet fully conversant in the mysterious ways of healthcare management. He adjusted his glasses and leaned forward as he always did when making a point. His sportsman's powerful shoulders hunched over the table. You may not fully appreciate yet, Carol, that under the previous CEO, we invested heavily in state-of-the-art reporting platforms, I'd say we have one of the most sophisticated information systems of any regional health service in the country. And now you're telling us that it's not up to scratch? 
I suppose you're comparing it to your big city health service information system. Dr. Ann Bixton, the chief medical officer, drawled, speaking slowly as if to give Carol time to keep up. She patted a stray silver-gray hair into place, straightened the pearl bracelet on her wrist, and glanced at her phone as if distracted by other, more important things. Carol looked around the table at her executive team. They were barely an hour into the first day of their two-day off-site planning workshop, and already she could feel the wheels spinning. Despite the pleasant surrounds of the wood-paneled conference room, with the morning sun pouring through floor-to-ceiling windows, the atmosphere was dark. Some of them had obviously saved up their negativity for this event and were now letting it flow. They're probably overdue a bit of catharsis. The trick would be to get the balance right. So they also accomplished what they came here to do. She summoned up her positivity. Actually, it's a far better data system than the one I used to work with, Carol responded pleasantly, rising from her chair and picking up a whiteboard pen. It's what goes into it and comes out of it, that's the problem. This stirred the normally quiet and reserved quality and risk executive director, William, into speech. Um, but Carol, the board is happy with our reports, and we didn't come unstuck with accreditation on the basis of our reporting. Everyone looked at William with surprise. Since the massive failure a few months ago, they hadn't heard him utter the word accreditation. Despite the fact that the problems had been with clinical care, William Hayes had been silently blamed by the others around the table for the poor result, and he knew it. His contribution had subsequently decreased to the point where he could sit through a whole meeting without saying anything at all. His health also appeared to have deteriorated with his confidence. His shirt buttons strained against his stomach, and his suit, which had fitted him perfectly six months ago, now looked a size too small. His pleasant face was puffy below a thatch of sandy hair that he ruffled when agitated, and thus was in a state of constant disarray. He was slowly but surely demolishing a plate of croissants that began in the meeting in the middle of the table, but had made their way to a convenient space in front of him. Traces of pastry could be seen around the corners of his mouth. The fact that William had continued to be blamed for problems outside his control told Carol a lot about her executive team. They may have called themselves a team, but she didn't think of them as one. They lacked every building block, common goals, shared commitment, agreed ways of working and communicating, role clarity, accountability, and trust. This lack of real teamwork was impacting the broader organization and was likely the root of much of the mess the health service found itself in, not that the people in front of her seemed to realize this. Carol had noticed that some members of the group liked to attribute KVHS's woes to anyone but themselves, with the accreditation result placed squarely on William's shoulders. She was hoping that by the end of the workshop, the group would be on the way to gelling as a team and, in the process, that this would solve another problem that needed to be addressed as a priority, their lack of focus on core business. Let's look at it this way, Carol said, writing a question on the whiteboard. How good is KVHS clinical care? The best, of course. 
Kristen Aldenberg, the chief operating officer, answered confidently, tossing her ponytail. Kristen's sun-bleached hair, sturdy build, and healthy glow reflected the hard work she put in on the olive farm that had been in her family for 50 years, much of it every morning before leaving for her KVHS day job. She had worked her way up from her first role as a ward clerk and loved KVHS and nearly everyone in it. Carol liked her. She was naturally street smart and had acquired some useful formal qualifications over the years. Although seemingly casual in her approach, no one knew better than Kristen how KVHS worked, and no one was more disappointed at the year they'd had and where they found themselves. She had experienced the issues close up, acting as CEO while the search was on to replace the previous incumbent, and in that role had been secretly shocked at the myriad unaddressed problems she'd found on the CEO's desk. What does best mean? scoffed Anne. It's impossible to know, isn't it? Probably really good in some places and not so good in others, like any hospital. Elena Taverna, the chief nursing and midwifery officer, CNMO, and executive director of clinical services, spoke up for the first time, shifting self-consciously in her chair. She was a striking woman her early 60s, with short, stylishly cut hair that remained remarkably dark for her age. She was third-generation Kinsley Valley. Her grandfather had established one of the first vineyards in the district after emigrating from Italy. Elena had nursed all around the world to escape her strict parents, eventually and unexpectedly meeting and marrying a local farmer. That was many years ago, and her children were now adults. I'd say excellent, thanks in no small part to our nursing staff. She glanced at Anne as she spoke. They'd been comrades-in-arms on this executive team for years and understood each other's thoughts. We compare all right on national indicators, William pointed to some graphs on the table in front of him. I'd say that, overall, we're about average. So, what shall I write? asked Carol, underwhelmed but not surprised by the response. Pretty good? About average? Best but poor in places? Excellent where the nurses are involved? She wrote on the whiteboard as she spoke. The group chuckled uncomfortably. Carol turned to face the group. Complacency is the enemy of quality care. It's easy to become complacent about care in human services because we don't know enough about how good it really is. And, interestingly, no one really asks us to. Apart from some specific measures and accreditation, there's limited external expectation that we'll draw a line in the sand about how good we want our care to be, or that we'll know at any given time where we sit in relation to that. It's all a bit hit and miss. Think of your favorite professional sports team. If someone asked their coach or CEO on national television to rate their standard of play, and they gave the answers you just gave, how impressed would the fans and sponsors be? Or the players, for that matter. Oh, well, we're pretty good. We're excellent depending on who's playing. Brilliant in patches. Impossible to tell. About average. Carol stopped. There were wry smiles around the executive group, except for Elena, who sat impassively. Anne was similarly stony-faced and tapped the table rapidly with an impressive gold pen. 
Don't tell me you're one of those CEOs who insist we be more like an airline or a sports team or a hotel, she snapped. Because we're none of those things, and measuring the quality of our care is much harder than measuring the performance of a sports team. No, reassured Carol, noting Elena nodding in agreement with Anne. I'm not one of those CEOs. I know exactly how hard it is to create and maintain consistently high-quality care in the complex healthcare environment. I've lived it as a clinician and manager, and I've studied it. I'm the last person to underestimate the degree of difficulty. But that doesn't mean we can't learn and adapt helpful things from other industries. Right now, I do want to pursue the sports team analogy just a little. You make a good point, by the way, Anne. Why is it easy for a sports team to measure their performance? Before Anne could answer, sports mad Anton cut in. That's easy, he said, because the results tell the story. A team can't hide from the scoreboard. It's there for all to see. And we... He trailed off, realizing the hole he dug and leapt into. Oh, I see. He grinned at Carol. What am I missing? Elena looked put out that Anton and Carol seemed to be sharing a private joke. Yeah, come on, you two. You've left the rest of us behind, complained Kristen. Anton, would you like to do the honors? Carol sat down. Well, Anton began slowly, unused to leading discussions on topics other than budgets and IT. I think I get where Carol's coming from. Sports teams have results that show how they compare to others and therefore how good they are. In fact, they measure lots of things, from players' individual performance to training and gain stats. All of these metrics help them to reflect and improve. But in the end, the only results that really tell you how you compare are the game day results and where you are on the ladder. Oh, exclaimed Kristen, who was a football fanatic. I get it too. Here at KVHS, we also measure lots of things in our beautiful reporting system. But it's mostly process. We don't have any final scores to show how good we really are or not. And without knowing that, I guess the easiest path is to believe that we are good until something happens that says we're not. Elena glared at Kristen. That's all very well, but where would we get that information? There's hardly any decent data around, except for what we already have on our clinical risks and what we report to the Department of Health. And you're telling us that's no good. Not exactly, Elena, Carol said. She walked over to a window and opened it, letting in a slight breeze as the room warmed up. Anton just did a nice job of describing that it's important to have all sorts of measures. So I do value those we currently look at. And thanks to the Department of Health, we know where we sit on the league ladder with a couple of really important measures. What, staff and consumer satisfaction? What do they have to do with the quality of care? Just when I thought I was getting it. Anton shook his head in confusion. Come on, Anton, you do get it. Think about it. Carol was keen not to lose Anton just as he'd been showing signs of progress. But Anne wasn't having any of it. She sighed in exasperation. Don't give us that touchy-feely stuff, 
I don't know if you've noticed, but we work in a health service, not at Disneyland. Patient satisfaction? You can't expect patients to be happy. They're sick. I suppose there's room for improvement with food and parking. They've been problems forever, along with communication. But what can you do about that? And if staff aren't satisfied, well, as long as they're doing the job we're paying them to do, is that something that should take up our time here when we have so many urgent clinical issues to discuss? She sat back and crossed her arms. Carol resisted a strong urge to point out how not discussing staff and patient satisfaction had landed the health service in the situation it was in. I know you're a fan of research and evidence, Anne, so you'll be interested to know that many studies suggest that staff well-being and morale are strongly linked to patient satisfaction as well as to the standard of clinical care provided. The fact that KVHS is 35th out of 35 health services in the state for both is no coincidence. So if you want to discuss important issues, these are some we should start with. This is embarrassing for us as executives. Yes, we should be embarrassed. Carol looked directly at Anne and Elena as they exchanged outraged looks. Because we've allowed things to slip to the point where patient care is compromised and the consumer experience at KVHS is suboptimal, not to mention the way we've let the board and the Kinsley Valley community down. So in response to your question, I guess the short answer is, these are urgent clinical issues. No one spoke for a minute. Carol hadn't intended to wade into this minefield so early in the session, but opportunities had to be grabbed when they appeared. She waited. Kristen turned an unbecoming shade of crimson. I suppose we deserve this. We haven't really discussed it properly since those statewide results first came out from the Department of Health just before Seb left. We basically handballed the staff satisfaction issue to the people and culture service and patient satisfaction to William and his team. We, we haven't really owned it. Carol gave Kristen a supportive nod hoping her appraisal would open the others to greater honesty about the situation. She looked inquiringly around the table, but the rest of the group was tight-lipped. This was not the sort of conversation they were used to having, and there appeared to be little appetite for change. Carol decided she'd pushed hard enough for now. We've scheduled these issues to be addressed tomorrow, so let's stick to that. The data we have don't tell us the whole story about how good our care is. It's a bit like thinking the Milky Way is the whole sky. It's easier to see than other galaxies, but that doesn't mean the others aren't there or that they're unimportant. William is right. KVHS didn't come unstuck with accreditation because of the reporting system. It came unstuck because the measures didn't pick up where things were falling down. Incorrect diagnosis treatment not based on evidence, patients sent home too soon, uncoordinated care that allowed patients to slip through the cracks, clinical deterioration not picked up, basic neglect. Unfortunately, too many patients in the medical ward fell through those gaps and suffered unnecessarily for too long before the problems were identified. Even though we're plugging those holes now, is anyone willing to promise me there aren't similar care and reporting gaps elsewhere in the organization? 
I'd like to promise you that, because I think you're overreacting, Anne began, twirling her gold pen rapidly. But I can't. I don't think we should continue to rake over old problems. Oh, I know those things shouldn't have happened, she responded to Carol's frown, and particularly not over such a long period. But the medical patients are getting more complex every year, and they don't all make it easy. If they'd follow instructions and look after themselves, half of them wouldn't need to come to hospital and expose themselves to our heartless clinicians and bad care. The rest of the group glanced nervously from Anne to Carol. It seemed that Anne was on for an argument. But Carol had heard these sentiments many times before and refused to take the bait. I understand why you'd say that. It must be frustrating as a clinician to see your good work and effort ignored by some patients. Care is hard to get right for many reasons. Our responsibility is to help clinicians give the very best care they can and to help patients do the things that will support their own health and to foster partnerships between both to get the best results. But we can't know how we're doing with any of this if we don't have some decent measures from both the consumer and staff perspectives. Anne put her pen down and sat back. So, what are these magical measures you have in mind? And where will we get this amazing information? Carol looked around and saw all eyes on her. The energy in the room had escalated from half an hour ago, even if it had taken an agitated CMO to achieve it. Million-dollar questions. But before we get to that, bear with me for a few more minutes while I play out the sports story. She sipped some water and looked around the table. What's the ultimate goal of any professional sports team? To win a championship, the group chorused. So they have one huge advantage over healthcare because they have an unequivocal and shared definition of success or high performance that we don't have. But isn't ours high quality care for our community, as it says in our vision statement? And let me see, Kristen said, swiping her phone screen rapidly. That includes satisfied consumers and a happy, healthy staff and community. Yes, broke in Elena, but we're back to the measurement problem again. A championship or premiership, or whatever you want to call it, is easy to measure. You either win or you don't. High-quality care is hard. Almost impossible, said Carol with a smile, if you don't define it. You can't define high-quality care. Anne wrapped the table with her pen again and scowled at Carol. It's different for everyone. Every patient is unique, and every clinician has their ideas about what excellent care is for their own patients. Don't give us some jargonistic definition that no one understands and say we've defined quality care. No, I'm not going to give you anything, said Carol. You're going to define high-quality care yourselves. Yes, Anne, I get what you're saying about individual patients and clinicians. We want clinicians to think about the needs of each person, not color by numbers. But there are some basics that we must get right for every consumer and some care that must be standardized. No excuses, no exceptions. Elena opened her mouth to speak, but Carol held up her hand and kept going. 
Our definition of high-quality care is our definition of success. Like a sports premiership, it's something we can all agree on and work towards together. If we don't define it, the default definition in healthcare is usually compliance and staying out of trouble, which isn't very motivating for our staff or consumers and anchors us firmly in complacency and mediocrity. Oh, exclaimed Kristen, brow furrowed. That's not very good, is it? You're right. I just hadn't thought about it that way. Yep, it seems that compliance has definitely been our default definition of success. But it didn't keep us out of trouble, did it? Anton pushed his chair back, stretched his long legs out in front of him, and looked quizzically around the table. I'll let you be the judge of that. Carol noticed Anne's scowl and nodded briskly, anxious to avoid more diversionary outrage. And to go back to your light bulb moment, Anton, once we're clear on what high-quality care is, we'll have a better idea of the results we're trying to achieve, and therefore what we'll need to measure to tell us if we're achieving them. Rather than having a conversation about what we should measure in a kind of vacuum, we have that conversation based on what will tell us we're achieving our definition of success. Then we work out how to get the information. You've lost me, Anne stood up. This is too much like the mumbo-jumbo I heard at that quality conference I had to go to last year so Seb could show the accreditation assessors I was a clinical leader. It sounds to me like you intend to interfere in clinicians' work. If that's what this is about, I'm not interested. Look, I know you've got a job to do, Carol, but count me out of this conversation. I'll be downstairs catching up on my phone calls. And with that, she picked up her bag and left. As if choreographed, William, Kristen, Elena, and Anton stared at the door, each other, and, finally, at Carol. This would seem to be a good time for a break. I'll see you back here in 15 minutes. <laughs>